Thank you for joining our weekly message on the Pure Young Adult Podcast. We hope this message encourages you to grow deeper in your journey with Jesus. For more information about Pure Young Adults, check us out on all social media platforms at Pure Young Adults. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, Pure. Oh my goodness, let me tell you, it is such an honor. It just makes me so happy to be able to be invited back. There's something so special when you're invited back to a place that has meant so much in your life. And like Jakeem shared, just all of the the time that was spent here and all of the joy and the things that I learned along the way and the ways that we've grown. And many of you, we did ministry together and we grew together and we cried together. Maybe some of us maybe fought a little bit and then we reunited and and we learned reconciliation. And those are all the things a part of growing together. Am I right? And to be able to do that together and to be invited back, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And I just love that I get to hang out with you tonight. I have my family here tonight. My husband is over here, Gerson. We've been married for 24 years. My son's waving just to <laughs> married for 24 years now. My son, he serves here. Brenson, he's in college. Some of you know him. Uh, my daughter, Mia, is here. She is a... She's a high school senior, and our youngest son, Jordan, he's here. He's a high school freshman now, and the two of them are loud and proud Altaloma Braves. That's where they are. So they're here, and I'm so excited to be able to share this message with you, because as I was thinking about our family, and I was thinking about my life, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at my kids, I'm looking about them growing up, and I look at what you guys have been talking about when it comes to the area of risk, and I started to ask myself these questions, how much of risk-taking have we done as a family? And this has been one of those moments where I actually have enjoyed looking back. Do you ever have those times when you look back and it's not the most, it's, it's not fun, right? It's like, ooh, I wish that didn't happen. For me, for me, it's the 80s, okay? I, my, my era was the 80s. Y'all trying to relive the 80s? I am the 80s. I live the 80s, okay? And when I look back, I really would like to forget that time. The big earrings, the big hair, like, no, that's okay. But this was one of those things where I could look back and I could see all these areas where we took some risks over here and we had no guarantee of how things were going to turn out. And 15, 20 years later, we're looking back and we're saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much that we took that risk because we're seeing the blessings pour out. But there were some risks that we took and they didn't work out and they crashed and they burned. They became this pile of ashes. And you guys have been talking about risk when it comes to relationships and community and unknown and goals. And those are all areas that it's important to take risks, and you're going to have to take risks. And it's good to understand why it's important to take those risks. But how do you take those risks? And so I look back and I ask myself, okay, how did we take those risks? Because there's logic that comes into place. And so if we're going to have a conversation about risk, then we have to understand that this box of logic that we put ourselves in, that at some point we're going to have to step out of that just a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to give due diligence to decision-making. You want to have some good decision-making skills. You need to make a decision. You need to be in prayer. You need to be fasting. You need to be in the Word. You seek out godly and wise counsel. You ask the questions. You do the research. You work out some, maybe some hypotheticals. Make a plan for where you can make a plan. But at a certain point, that box of logic isn't going to have all the answers. That's the whole definition of risk, is to taking a step outside of the box of logic and stepping into the realm of risk. Now notice I say realm of risk, because see, logic has these sides. 
They're well-defined. But risk is like a realm. There aren't a whole lot of sides. It's me stepping into the unknown. It's me step, stepping into outside of my comfort zone. So it's not comfortable, and I'm a little scared. It's the unknown, things I don't know. So how can I prepare for what I don't know? Risk says that there's something for me to lose. And fear comes in, and I run back to my box of logic, and logic says to take this path, take the most traveled path, because this has been tried and proven, and is smoother, and all the rough edges have been, been worked out, and there's a lot of people on there, and you're going to have some comfort on there. And sometimes that is the path that we're supposed to take, but sometimes that's not the path we're going to take. So if logic isn't what's going to help me to step out and to take those risks, then what's going to help me do it? And that's where hope comes in. But now let's have a conversation about hope. Do we understand what hope is? Because if you say the word hope to me, you say the word hope to some of us, and we don't get this warm, fuzzy feeling. You say hope to me, and I see risk. You say hope to me, and I see risk, risk of I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be let down. I'm going to be discouraged. This isn't going to work out the way I had hoped. I see risk right now. And then we put hope into these nice little phrases because we love to do that. We love to shorten things up, put them in nice little package phrases. And we say things like, hold on to hope. Don't lose sight of hope. Okay, well, what do you say to the person who's been holding on? They've been doing everything right, and they're working their tails off, and I'm holding on to hope, and things are crashing around me. It's not working out. Things are crashing and burning and become piles of ashes, and I'm trying to hold on to hope, but I'm getting tired, and I'm exhausted, and I'm losing my grip on this thing called hope. What do we say to the person who they're losing sight of hope because the cloud of misery that's around them is getting so thick? I can't see, and I'm looking, I'm trying, I'm looking, but I can't see hope anymore. And if I can't see hope anymore, what's going to happen to me? There's a risk that comes in hope. And tonight, that's what I want to talk about, the risky business of hope. And I have a challenge. My challenge is, what if, what if we only have half of it? What if it's not hold on to hope, period? What if we're supposed to take that period off? What if it's supposed to be hold on to hope and let hope hold on to you? What if it's not just about my grip on hope, but what if it's about hope's grip on me? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, you are here and you are moving. Have your way. Open the ears, soften the hearts, bring the veil down from the eyes, and clear the minds to receive what you have for us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to spend tonight in the story of Job. And I'm going to share some of my story just a little bit at the end, but we're going to spend most of our time in the story of Job. Job's in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Esther. It's a pretty packed story. Job as a character has some layers to him. If you've never read the story of Job, I want to encourage you to read it. There's no way I can get into all the nooks and crannies of Job. So we're going to do a little bit of a flyover when it comes to Job. But Job is someone that he had this great life, and then he didn't have this great life, and he starts to have this interaction when it comes to this risky business of hope. So in Job chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what happens when you start to get older. You're going to pop the glasses off and on. 
Job chapter 1, verse 1, we hear right away what was, who this man Job was. And it says that he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. So right here we see the kind of character that Job had. He feared God. He had a reverence for God. He obeyed God. He was a man of integrity. He wasn't just a good man. He was a godly man. And then it goes on and it says that he had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So not only was he a godly man, he was successful, he was established. And we know that his success wasn't because of some backroom dealings, because he was a man of integrity. He was blessed. God had his hand on him. And from the very beginning, we see that Job was, that he was, he was good. And God looked at him. And he had favor on him. And everything was wonderful and great until it wasn't wonderful and great. And one day, a servant comes running up to Job and tells Job, Master, we were out with some of your livestock, and something happened, and all of and, and this, and your livestock, they, they were slaughtered, and they were killed, and the servants with them, they're dead. And another servant comes and tells him, Master, same thing happened. Master, same thing happened. Now he has lost his livelihood. He's lost his livestock. He's lost his servants. Another servant comes running up to him and says, Master, your children, your seven sons and your three daughters were all together in one house having a feast. And a whirlwind came and hit all sides of the house. And they are dead. And all their servants and only I survived to come and to tell you. Now think about that for a minute. No context to this. No warning that anything was about to happen. And just like that, he's lost all of his livelihood and he's lost all of his kids. I think about my kids and I don't care how old my kids are, those are my babies. And I think the pain that I would be feeling if I lost just one. But now you're going to come and tell me I lost all three? And Job rips his robe in anguish and in grief. And then it gets worse. He becomes diseased and these boils start to come up on his skin. And in chapter 2... We read that Job says, it says that Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery and he sat among the ashes. Now get a picture of that. Job has these boils on him. Now I'm a, I'm a very vision-oriented person. Like I see some pictures and there's some things that if you tell me, please don't tell me because I'm actually seeing that. I really don't want that image in my head. But there's Job, and he's got these boils, and I'm picturing these big boils. And I don't know what's in those boils. Is there pus oozing out of that? And there's ashes everywhere. Have you ever been around ashes? If you live here, you've been around these fires, right? And the ashes, how they feel and how they get in your lungs, and you start feeling like you're suffocating. It starts to burn, and he's sitting in these ashes, and he's picking up pieces of broken clay pottery to scrape these boils to get some sense of relief. And his heart is broken, and he's in anguish. Because forget the fact that he just lost all his life, he's just lost all of his children. And his wife comes over, his beautiful wife, you know, till death do us part. 
And she looks at him, and his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain integrity? Curse God and die. Are you still trying to hold on to hope? Don't you see there is nothing left? Curse God and die. His wife. Well, then his friends come running over because they hear about all this tragedy. And let me tell you, bad news travels fast. His friends come over and they're going to come over. They're going to try and console him. And they sit with him for a few days. Now, I don't know what they were doing just sitting there for a few days. If I'm in misery, please don't just sit there staring at me. A little awkward. But they're sitting with him for a few days. And then finally, Job starts to speak. And Job starts to speak. And he's in anguish and he's in grief. And he starts saying things like, I want to curse the day that I die. And he's talking about black clouds and darkness and all of this. And he's in grief and he's just, he's just hurting so deeply inside. Let me tell you, if that's me, if all this stuff has happened, if I lost all my kids, homegirl's got some questions. Homegirl's feeling some pain right now. And I, my hope, my prayer is that I'm around some people that when all of this starts to come spewing out, y'all aren't going to judge me but you're going to embrace me. But Job's friends, they didn't do that. Job's friends were speaking over him and started saying, what are you doing? Why are you questioning God right now? Oh, I see. I, I, I see you. You one of them lukewarm brothers. You're just sitting there on the fence. So when everything's good with God, you're okay. But now that you've got some adversity, there's a, adversity, there's a problem. And then the speeches go back and forth, and the dialogue goes back and forth throughout the book of Job. And it comes down to now his friends are just telling him, you did something, Job. It's something that you did. You need to repent. You need to ask forgiveness because this is happening because you're being punished. Guys, this is a picture of us. This happened in the Old Testament, but this happens every day today. What are those things in your life, those hopes and those dreams and those risks and those expectations that kept burning down and they're a pile of ash right now? Where is it that you're sitting on that pile of ash? And as you're sitting on that pile of ash, things start to boil up in you. And you pick up that broken clay pottery and you start to scrape the boil of disappointment and scrape the boil of discouragement and scrape the boil of resentment. Scrape the boil of your oppression. And those friends, see, that's hell. That's the demonic. That's hell that comes rushing in and takes a minute just to sit there, go onto your Instagram, start stalking your Instagram. Because, you know, our life is Instagram, right? Start going through our Instagram, find that one spot, double tap, that's where we're going. And hell comes rushing over and starts speaking down into you and starts saying things like, it's your fault. You're not enough. And if you had just this and if you had just that, and if you look this way or if you didn't look this way, something you did is because it's something you did. Now you got to get yourself out of this. And hell brings all this shame on us and shame presses us down and presses us down. And so now that I'm sitting here in this pile of ashes and all I can see is ash and boils and pieces of broken clay pottery and hell starts to speak over me. You still trying to hold on to hope? Curse God and die. 
And this is my reality because this is all I can see because I am hard pressed by shame right now. You ever talk to someone and they feel like there's nothing left for them, but all you see is possibility and you're so frustrated and you're trying to figure out how can you not see this? This is why they can't see it because there's ash and there's boils and there's broken clay pottery and there's shame coming down pressing them down so that this is all that they see. Well, the story keeps going with Job, and he reaches a a critical point now, and he's about to fall off the cliff because he's just questioning and he's confused. Now, to be fair with Job and his friends, they did live during a time where this whole relationship with God looked a little bit different because Jesus hadn't come yet to pay and fulfill that price. So this was kind of a contractual relationship. If you didn't make the right sacrifice, this happened. It was cause and effect. So of course they were thinking, this is happening to you, that means you did something wrong. But see, they didn't have context. They didn't know what was happening in the spiritual realm. And if you read the story of Job, you start to see that there was something happening in the spiritual realm. They just didn't have any context. See, here, we only see in part. We don't have the whole story. We're not always going to have all the understanding of why this is happening. And they didn't have the whole story. But Job is now just wrestling with this, and he's getting to this critical point, and God comes in, and he starts to snap him out of it. It's like if I'm I'm going on a hike, and those of you who know me, you've heard me say this a million times, my happy place is when I'm sweaty, and I'm dirty, and I'm on a dirt trail. That's where I just feel so relaxed and happy. So if you and I, we're hiking together, and something happens, and, and I get a cramp or something, and I'm about to go off the edge... Please don't be that person that comes over and you're real gentle with me trying to have a conversation and say, okay, now, I'm going to have to grab you right now. I'm really sorry. But by the time you get through this conversation, I'm either dead or I've got a whole bunch of broken limbs because I just fell off the edge. No, if I'm about to fall off the edge, what are you going to do? You're going to grab me. You're probably going to scream. You're going to yell. You're going to say, hey. You're going to grab me. You're going to throw me over. You make apologies later, but you're going to save me. Sometimes we are so nice, we let people fall off the cliff. Sometimes we're so afraid to speak God's truth, and we're so nice, we let people fall off the cliff. And God sees that Job's about to fall off the cliff. And so he grabs him, and he yanks him over. And we're going to look at this conversation that God had with Job. But before we look at it, I want you to understand something, because there's a tone that God uses here. And sometimes we read this and we start to think, dang, dang, God, you're so heartless to Job's situation. Look, he's going through all this stuff. Why are you talking to him like this? It wasn't that Job was being heartless to God's situation. He was being heart-filled towards Job. See, sometimes we get fixated on the situation where God's fixated on us. We get fixated on the circumstance. God's fixated on us. We get fixated on the things and on the relationship and on the people, but God's fixated on us. And here's why. Because the situation and the things and the people, they may not change, but I can change. And that's where God's focused right now. That's where he's fixated on us. God wasn't being heartless 
to Job's situation. He was being heart-filled towards Job. So we go to chapter 38 in Job. And the Lord starts to challenge Job here. <laughs> I'm laughing because I love this part. It says, and the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And let me just tell you, the words that are on this page, there's only one way that you say these kind of words. So I'm going to say it the way in my theology, God talks to me. He says, oh, no, you didn't. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. All right, son, you want to have a conversation? Man up. We're about to talk. Brace yourself like a man because I'm fitting to ask you some questions and you best have some answers for me. Because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And then the Lord continues in this and he starts to say, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made the daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? Have you explored the springs from which the seas come from? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know. And he takes a pause. No? Nothing? Let's keep going. Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to his home? Do you know how to get there? And he goes on for chapters of this. This was God showing who he was. Because he sometimes we pray these prayers where we're asking the Lord to come with this mighty wind from heaven and to just, just swoosh away all the ashes of our affliction. But what happens when that wind doesn't come? This was God showing us who he is in light, and this is God showing us who he is in the midst of the ashes. And then Job finally responds to this at the end of it all. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. He has this moment where he realized that God just took him to church. Oh, I know who you are. I see you. I get it. I know who you are. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Me. It is I. I was talking about things I know nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. There's some things here, God, I'm realizing that I don't understand. I don't have full context, and everything seems to be burning down around me, but God, I see you, and you are so much bigger than this. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I see you with my own eyes. This is a compare and contrast that Job is doing. He's saying, I had this experience of who you are way back when, when everything was great. But now that I'm in this place of darkness and of ash, I'm seeing a whole other side of you, God. This went a whole lot deeper right now. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I take everything back I said. When I said that I cursed the day that I die, I take that back. When I said that I don't want to keep going anymore, I take that back. I take back everything I said. And he said that he sit in that place of dust and ashes to show his repentance. This wasn't a show of repentance saying, I did something wrong and I'm being punished. 
Because we see very clearly in the beginning of Job, he didn't do anything wrong. This was him saying, you know what? I was beginning to turn this way into the voice of hell. God, you came and you started to correct me, and I am going to repent because repent means to turn around. I'm going to repent from this voice of hell, and I'm going to be right here with you, God. And here's the thing that I love about what Job did. There was no promise that things were going to get any better. There was no promise that healing was going to come. And he made a decision, and he took the risk to say, you know what, even if Nothing ever changes. Even if healing doesn't come, even if that dream doesn't come true, even if this path doesn't work out, even if this relationship doesn't work out, even if this and even if that, I'm going to stay right here because here's what Job realized. Job realized hope isn't a what. Hope is a who. These hopes and these dreams and these risks and these expectations, they can crash, they can burn, and they can become a pile of ashes. But this hope, God right here, the God that just broke it down for him about who he is, he's not going to crash and burn. He's going to be solid. And this is the hope that we hear about in Romans 5, that hope that doesn't disappoint. And Job took that risk. I am 47 years old, and I look back on my life, and I have these different moments in life where I like to look back on things, and I have these, these bold markers on different areas of my life, come chapters or whatever you want. At 10 years old, my life ended. Now, I was raised in a Christian home, and I'm a preacher's kid, and I know I was taught how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, about worship, about devotion, about serving. And I was like doing all kinds of things in the church. Like, this is what you do. At 10 years old, my life ended. Because at 10 years old, I was molested. And all the hopes and the dreams you have as a little girl came crashing down into a pile of ashes. And I sat on that pile of ashes... And from 10 years old on, there was one trauma after another trauma after another trauma. And these things started to boil up in me. And I started to scrape the boils of hate and the boils of anger and the boils of self-loathing and the boils of disgust. Because see, hell came rushing in like Job's friends and Job's wife and started to speak all this stuff over me. It's your fault. At 10 years old, it was my fault. You did something. Because, see, there were other people there, but you got singled out. So it's your fault. You did something. Well, if you were just a better Christian or if you were a good girl, and then I would try so hard to be a good girl and to be a good student and to be a good athlete, because if I could be good at this, then maybe these things won't happen. And I would continue to have hope, and things would continue to crash and to burn into a pile of ashes around me. At age 23... One more thing happened in my life, and my world kept crashing down. Age 23, my dad died. And everything that I knew to be up was down. Everything I knew to be down was up, and I just completely broke. 
And I had this moment where I'm just crying out and I'm screaming and I'm like Job where there's this anguish and there's this wailing that's happening and I'm telling God, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I can't carry this anymore. And this is how God responded to me. He says, good. I'm thinking, good? Now, I've been through different trainings of how to like counsel and spiritually advise and people have gone through trauma. And I have never had been trained to tell anyone when they're saying that they're done to tell them good. You don't want to tell them good. But God speaks to my heart and he says, good. And then he keeps speaking to my heart and he says, because you were never meant to carry this. My son carried this for you on the cross. Will you trust me? Now, let me tell you something. That word trust, that's a trigger word for me because your girl ain't trusting no one. I got too many years of experience with this. I'm not letting you be at my back. I'm watching what, what, my, what my exits were. I lived my life in so much stress, my intestines were being ripped up. And he says, will you trust me? Because see, trust requires risk and trust requires hope. Trust requires some level of release. And up until that point, what I had been doing is when people tell me, hold on to hope, I was using hope as this lifeless bar to try and pull myself up. And I was tired, and I was riddled with boils, and I was exhausted. And to try and pull myself up over this bar was now becoming impossible, and I was losing my grip. But see, hope isn't a lifeless bar for us to pull ourselves up out of our situation. Hope is a pair of life-filled arms that is eager and waiting to lift us up out of our situation. And I began to understand this. I began to learn this. And I tell, I tell God in that moment, and I still to this day don't fully understand why I said this, but I said yes. Actually, I didn't say yes. I said, I'll give you one more shot. I know, I'm so glad that God loves me and he has grace because I can have a little bit of a mouth on me. I said, all right, I'll give you one more shot. And it didn't get better. It took years. You go from 10 to 23, that's not going away overnight. It took years. But see, through those years, it wasn't about what I was doing. It wasn't about me pulling myself up and pulling myself into something else. It was about me free-falling into the arms of hope. It was about me knowing that if my grip was getting loose on this thing, hope, it was okay because hope's grip on me was good and secure. It was about me knowing that as much as hell was losing its mind, trying to get me back, God was fighting just as hard and harder for me. And I was able to go through that and be able to get to a place where finally I could say I feel a place of wholeness that was there. But I had to take a risk. I had to take a risk every day to wake up every morning that even if the world comes crashing down around me, I'm going to stay right here with you, God. Even if. Now, here's the thing. Because I want to ask you to take a risk tonight. But i got to be real honest with you. See, the end of this story with Job is that God has a conversation with Job's friends and he sets, him, sets them straight. And then Job starts praying for his friends. And then Job is restored. And everything that he lost, he gets back. In fact, it's doubled. Now, see, that's a message that'll preach. But if I'm going to stand up here with any level of integrity, I've got to be honest with you. That's not always how it turns out. There are things in my life 
that were redeemed. Those dreams of one day getting married that crashed and burned to a pile of ashes because I'm broken goods. Who's going to, like, heck no. I've been married for 24 years. And I love my husband, and I know that he loves me, and he adores me, and he cherishes me. Those dreams and hopes that I had of, of having children because <laughs> I'm a wreck, and I don't see myself past high school. Crashing and burning a pile of ashes. I have my three kids, and I love them, and I adore them, and I'm so proud of them, even when they're getting on my last nerve. I love them. In the name of Jesus, in that moment, I love them. That place of having any kind of dreams or aspirations for what God has to call in my life, that took a lot longer. But I finally got there where I could actually speak it out and dare, dare to dream. But there are some things in my life that I didn't get back. What was taken from me at 10 years old, I didn't get that back. I didn't get justice for that. I didn't get justice for the trauma in my life. I don't have answers for that. I don't know why I was the one that was picked. I don't know. And I may never know this, this side of heaven. But I'm okay with that. Because my hope isn't a what. My hope is a who. I'm going to ask you to take a risk. I'm going to ask you to take a risk to choose to hope, not in a what, but to hope in God. And to be able to have this moment, this Job moment, where you say that no matter what, I've got this plan in place, but no matter if that plan works out or not, I'm going to stay right here. No matter if healing comes or not, I'm going to stay right here with you, God. Because I know that when I start to lose my grip and I feel like I can't hold on to hope anymore, I can free fall into your arms and you're going to hold me. We're going to make some space up here because we want to create some space for you to be able to come up. And they're going to move the table. And there's no right or wrong way to do this. I'm going to give you some suggestions, but it's just, just for those of you that are kind of wondering, okay, what do I do? How do I do this? For some of you, you're going to need to handle some business right there in your seat. And that's okay. Let me just preface this. It's not about what you do on the outside. It's what you're doing on the inside. That's where the change comes. You can do all kinds of stuff on the outside. Remember, I was a preacher's kid. I know how to work church. You can do all kinds of stuff on the outside. And there's nothing happening on the inside. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. For some of you, it's going to be right there in your chair. For some of you, you know that you need to take that step. You need to step out. You need to come up to the front. And you need to have this moment with God. Just your heart and God's heart. And you need to let God take you to church. And run it down for you who he is. Who he is when all the ashes are away, but who he is in the midst of the ashes. And here's the risk that I'm asking you to take. Can you take the risk to hope in God? That's the hope that doesn't disappoint. And to be able to say, even if this doesn't work out, I'm going to stay right here with you. Because when I can do that, then that's what's going to give me my strength, to hope when it comes to community, and to hope when it comes to the unknown, and to hope when it comes to my goals. Because those crash and burn, I'm solid. Because he's solid.
There's one more part. I have a good life. I have a blessed life, and I'm going to give God glory for that because I almost didn't. I almost did it. But I didn't get everything back. See, I had this hope of a reconciliation. I had this hope of a reconciliation with my mom. A relationship where there was a lot of pain. And I held on to that hope that one day we would reconcile. And then I get the phone call. Last year, December, right around my birthday, I get the call. She died. Tragic death. And that hope died. And I cried. I wailed because I wasn't just grieving the death of a person. I was grieving the death of a hope. I can't promise you it's always going to work out. But I looked at that pile of ashes and I had a choice. I know what it's like to go through pain without God. And I know what it's like to go through pain with Him. And I choose to stay here. What if it's not about your strength, but it's about His? What if it's not about the grip that you've got, but it's the grip that He has on you? If you need to come to the front, if you need to kneel, if you need to raise your hands, if you need to sit in your chair, you need to do business with God, then do it. This is your space. The ministry team is going to be walking around. You may feel a, a hand on your shoulder. It's okay. They're just praying on you. They're just praying words of encouragement over you. That's all they're doing. But if you need prayer, grab it. I'm all about that prayer, and I'm all about that blessing. Girl, going to grab that blessing. If you need prayer, grab them and tell them, I need prayer, and let them pray over you. But just imagine, what if? What if it's not just about hope holding on to me? But maybe tonight, hope wants to hold on to you. so much for tuning in to this week's message. Make sure you subscribe and we'll catch you next week at the Pure Young Adults podcast.